The City of Boston Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture Artists in Residence Program would like to welcome you to the Boston Air Podcast. In the fourth episode, we will hear live and written testimonials at the Trans and Non-Binary Town Hall, hosted and organized by air artist Golden and Feminine Empowerment Movement Slam founding director Zenaida Peterson. Thank you all for joining us and for those who are on the live stream, for the participants joining us. Um, hello everyone and welcome and thank you for joining us for the City of Boston Trans and Non-Binary Town Hall. Um, my name is Golden, my pronouns are they, them, and I'll be one of your co-hosts for the evening tonight. Um, first and foremost, I think I like to thank the Mayor's Office of Arts and Culture for providing this space for us to hear from the public and to be in dialogue. And I especially like to thank Sharon Amaguni and Christina Carroll for acting as today's tech host. Also, I, it can't be said enough, but thank you to everyone who submitted testimony over the past few weeks and to those who are still planning to send in testimonies and to all the supporters who have helped shape and share this event. We couldn't do any of this work without you. Um, I know we're all excited to hear from the participants joining us virtually this evening, but lastly, it's my extreme pleasure to introduce my co-host and co-organizer for this event, Zenaida Peterson, who will be hosting the first half of the virtual testimony portion for today's town hall. For those of you who do not know, Zenaida Peterson, author of Breakfast for Dinner and Other Blasphemous Things, published by Pizza Pie Press, is a mystic, an organizer, a houseplant gardener, and a Black non-binary poet from the South currently thriving in Boston, Massachusetts. They are the founding director of Feminine Empowerment Movement Slam, FEM, an all-age radical poetry slam centering marginalized people and celebrating the feminine. Zenaida is easing the impacts of 2020 by learning to make plant medicine engaging in restorative justice, mutual aid, and farming. They are the equity and empowerment director of Quaker Voluntary Service. Their current project is spending each month of 2020 conquering a different fear of theirs. Thank you so much. I'd like to welcome Zenaida. Thank you, Golden. Thank you for that introduction and for having me a part of this town hall. It um, is so important and an honor to be doing this with you. Um, so over the past few weeks, Golden and I have been collecting and folks from the office have been collecting written and recorded testimony from trans, non-binary, genderqueer, and gender expansive individuals currently residing and working in the greater Boston area. Today, with the participants we have joining us, we will be discussing the representation of transgender and non-binary individuals in the city of Boston's policies and processes, with a focus on naming the ways that the city can do better to support us and be a better support structure. Before we get started, we wanna acknowledge that even though we are not physically together right now, the city of Boston resides on stolen land belonging to the Mashapee, Wampanoag, and Massachusetts people. We name the land theft, ethnic cleansing, and displacement that occurred in order for this town hall to take place here. We acknowledge this with humility, respect, and gratitude. We'll take a moment of silence.
Thank you. So the town hall's agenda will go as follows. At the beginning, I will read the full list of participants who have signed up to give testimony today, which for those in the Zoom call will be pinned in the Zoom chat box. When I announce who is currently get up to give testimony, I will also announce the two people who are up next. Each participant will have approximately five minutes to give their testimony. To keep everyone cognizant of the time, for each person who reaches the four minute mark, I will kindly put my hand up like this for a few seconds to signal to the speaker that they have one minute remaining. We understand that five minutes is not much time. So we will give a 30 second grace period once the five minute mark is reached. And we'll do our best to adhere to the time constraint once 30 seconds are up. Please know that this town hall will be recorded for public record and later uploaded to the mayor's office of arts and culture, uh, the mayor's office arts and culture's YouTube page. So any and all testimony provided today will be noted as such. To make sure this is a respectful and open environment, please refrain from any cursing, pejorative, violent, or ableist language. Does that sound good to everyone? Participants, again, if you have any technical issues or need any assistance during today's town hall, please feel free to private message either one of our tech hosts. They will do their best to assist you. Anyone have any questions before we get started? If any participants have questions throughout, I will be sure to be paying attention to the chat. So today's testimony order is going to go as follows. Matisse DuPont first, Guangpeng, Guangpeng Chu, sorry, Ricky, Ari, Solomon, um, in that order. So we have Guangpeng Chu it on deck with Ricky right afterwards and Matisse up now. Welcome Matisse. Hi there. How's it going everyone? Uh, my name is Matisse DuPont. Um, you can call me Maddie though. Um, I use they them pronouns and um, I'll start with a quick introduction about who I am and what I'm up to here in Boston. Um, I recently graduated from Simmons University with a master's in gender and cultural studies. Um, and I am a multimedia artist and event producer here, um, focusing on digital, uh, digital drag and burlesque and music cabaret called Night Flowers. Um, so that one's like, you wanna take a look, uh, keep an eye out for that one. Um, I'm also here representing two organizations um, just cause that's who I work for. And they're both really cute. And I wanna plug them. First is the Transgender Emergency Fund who is one of the only um, groups in Massachusetts who are doing really major work for trans people and as far as providing assistance and um, to who are in need, financial assistance services, uh, goods, produce, food, they're amazing. So if you don't know Transgender Emergency Fund, check them out, they're incredible, I love them. Another one is Hourglass Boston, which is uh, a new business that is an artist collective founded by um, a group of six of us, half of whom are non-binary, so uh, definitely relevant. And so we do things like we make clothing, we produce, we have a print magazine, 
that's in the works. We do a lot of also creative consulting with um, real estate to help these innovation centers um, make room for artists too. So um, we do a lot of that sort of stuff and event production, that type of stuff. So a lot of um, overlap between um, it, like the different innovation industries, real estate and creative practices. Um, so I have a couple of ideas for um, how we can make sure Boston is and the greater Boston area is really, really inclusive for trans and non-binary people and not only inclusive, but is like safe and helps us thrive and um, be happy and supported and healthy. And like, I wanna be more than just included. I wanna be like made center. I want center stage, I want spotlight. I'm a performer and I love the spotlight. So I want um, trans people to be center stage um, in Boston whenever possible in the art scene. Um, Anyways, so I have some ideas on how that could happen. Um, one thing is I think that a lot, we could produce some sort of uh, incentive financial or otherwise for art institutions and uh, performance venues to be booking and hiring trans and non-binary people. So the other year I worked for the Museum of Fine Arts on the Gender Bending Fashion Exhibition, which was um, a pretty cool event and I just want to see, I don't want that to be like this once in a lifetime thing that happens in Boston. I want large arts institutions to be funding things that center around queer people as often as possible. And specifically, I want art institutions to do better about funding queer people of color, queer and trans people of color as often as possible as well. So I want big stuff like that. You know, I want there to be incentives for large institutions um, and large performance venues to be bringing things in that are centering trans and non-binary people. Um, so that's my first one. Um, I would love if we could introduce more grants and public funding for individual artists. Um, I know some exist, but I would love more, <laughs> more money to trans people, you know? Um, and along that line, I also think, um, aside from just like funding individual artists, I think we should also start thinking about funding and finding ways to financially support um, businesses that are creatively centered businesses run by trans and non-binary people. Um, so I'm imagining there could be grants for these um, small creative uh, ventures or low interest small business loans that have really great like long deals with really low interest or maybe no interest for the first couple of years um, so that these creative businesses can actually begin. And it's not just individuals trying to make it on their own. We can actually support groups of people to come together to forming like collections, collectives, and organizations. Um, I think that would be a really important thing for us to do, support us in a business and economic sense beyond just the individuals. Um, um, I think um, another thing I think that would be amazing if there was sort of a legal support system um, for artists, these small businesses and nonprofits. Um, it'd be great if um, Cambridge, Somerville, all in Boston, and all these different places um, could uh, provide legal support for us, um, uh, and like how to do become an LLC, how to register. That would be amazing. Um, I have one more thing. Um, I think that we could have subsidized um, rent and mortgages for these creative small businesses. We could find um, locations that are like prime locations, like on Newbury Street or something like that, and give us really subsidized rent so that we can actually be once again front and center in some of the hot spots of Boston. Um, so I think that's it for me. Um, thank you again, Golden and Zenaida for having us. My name is Matisse Dupont. Um, you can call me Maddie and check out Transgender Emergency Fund and Hourglass Boston. Uh,
back to y'all. Thanks so much, Maddie. Thank you for that testimony. Um, Ricky and Ari, you are on deck, and Guangping, you are up now. I welcome you. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, first, I just want to say thank you so much to Zenaida, to Golden, for all the work to organize this and put this together. Um, and thank you, um, yeah, to, uh, to everyone, all the trans folks who are offering testimony today. Um, and I um, thank you, Maddie, for bringing up the idea that this is about much more than inclusion. Um, oh, and I forgot to introduce myself. So I'm Guangping. Um, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I um, am an educator. I'm a teacher in Boston Public Schools. Um, I teach uh, in a K-8 school in the North End. Um, and I think, um, you know, when I, when I think about the ways that um, the city of Boston can um, better support trans and non-binary people, it's, um, it's, it's not just about inclusion, it's about dismantling the gender binary. Um, and so much of the gender binary is, you know, entrenched in, you know, our, not just our hearts and our minds, but like architecture and physical things too. Um, and so I think about um, the school building that, um, you know, when we are in person physically, um, the, the gender segregated bathrooms and um, how, uh the current policy in boston public schools is that um students can self-identify their gender use the bathroom according to their gender identity but if the two options are the boys bathroom and the girls bathroom then that's not working out for our non-binary kids um and it's not working out for me as a non-binary educator either um when the options are binary um I think we, you know, also have a long way to go in terms of, um, you know, the, there, there is legal policy in place that, for example, like I talked about, um, in Boston public schools, um, if a student asks, um, to be referred to using certain pronouns or a name that's different from their legal name, then, teachers and administrators at the school are re required to respect that and to honor that. Um, but I don't know how many kids know that, right? How many kids are asked what their pronouns are in schools? Um, how many meetings have I been in when um, I'm not the only person introducing myself with my pronouns? Pretty few. Um, and so I think there's a lot, um, there's a lot to do in terms of, you know, at a citywide level, um, uh, trainings uh, around, um, you know, awareness about introdu introducing ourselves with our pronouns and um, the, the ways that the gender binary influences um, our, our daily lives. Um, yeah, I also think that specifically with regard to school policies, there are a lot of, um, um, or, or there are some, um, publications that I've read about like what rights um, transgender and non-binary students have. 
um, but not so many about um, the rights of educators in the workplace. Um, and so I'm kind of at a, at a loss right now with, you know, like who, who can I connect to about this? Um, uh, and, you know, who, who is doing this work um, to, uh, to make sure that um, as, as educators, we can model, you know, what it means to be our full selves, our gender expansive selves, um, so that kids can feel comfortable doing that as well. Um, and uh, I, I guess like one more thing about the, the gender binary is um, I think kids are also um, allowed to choose based on their gender identity um, what sports team they'd like to play on. Again, um, lots of sports don't have to be segregated by gender identity, you know? Um, and I think we could do uh, a lot to make our public athletic and recreation spaces um, reflect that as well. So thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Guangping. Um, appreciate your testimony. Um, I'm not sure if Ari has joined the call. So um, Ricky, you might be our, our next and last um, uh, verbal testimony. And um, later on in the program, Golden will be reading um, testimonies that folks wrote in earlier. Um, and you all uh, that are watching on the live stream uh, still have uh, opportunity to submit testimony. So if you're inspired, please do. Um, now I'd like to welcome up Ricky. Uh, hola, uh, my name is Ricky, uh, you they them pronouns. I'm going to be reading off a script because my mind don't work as fluidly as everybody else here. So sorry if it sounds robotic, but it's here. Uh, okay. So again, I'm Ricky, they them pronouns, and I am born and raised Latina, queer, and be a Boston resident. My concern over access comes in the form of leadership opportunities. As I've navigated many nonprofits that work to give assistance to Boston residents, Every agency has had transplants, people who weren't raised in Boston, in leadership positions. This has created ripple effects as I don't see many of my high school peers in positions of education or leadership today. How can people who don't know the history of our complex city assist in supporting and uplifting residents who face the roadblocks in education, financial literacy, housing stability, et cetera? We, uh, we all should know arts have been defunded throughout our public school history and note the rise in charter schools in Boston. We also know public education is lacking at many fronts. I hope the city starts to turn around and reflect on the many voices that have been crying out for help for so long. Listen to those who have lived through the current system that has allowed for complacency and create change. Uh, we must resist what Boston Pride has done to black and brown liberation, which is ignore and threaten. Um, that's all I have to say. Um, I, my experiences come uh, in working in little nonprofits here being you know blocked and muted everywhere by them because they're not ready to have the conversations about what it means to have black and brown trans and people on on board um i have been made to seem like i'm marginalized and feeling marginalized and feeling attacked i've had people tell me that i am a threat to them and that they don't feel safe around me because i call them out on their microaggressions and racism um but i keep resisting and i show up to things like this when i have the opportunity to speak so Thank you all for having 
uh, this space for the conversations to be had. And I'll be, I'll be checking it to see where it goes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ricky. Um, and thank you all for um, being here for the verbal testimony. It's very powerful. Um, now that we are halfway, um, at the halfway point of our testimonial portion of the event, I would like to call Golden back, hi Golden, uh, to host the second half. For those of you who do not know, Golden is a black gender non-conforming trans femme photographer and poet raised in Hampton, Virginia, currently residing in Boston, Mass. Golden is a, a recipient of the a Pink Door Fellowship from 2017 and 2019, and Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum Luminaries Fellowship in 2019, of the Frontier Award for New Poets from 2019, a pish, the, and a Pushcart nomination um, from Wildness in 2019. Their work has been featured on and at the Shade Journal, The Offing, The Wildness, Button Poetry, BuzzFeed, ID, Interview Magazine, and elsewhere. Golden holds a BFA in poetry and photography from New York University and is currently a City of Boston artist in residence. Thank you so much, Golden. Thank you so much, Anita, for leading the um, beginning half of our testimony portion and for doing such an amazing job hosting. And thank you to everyone who um, signed up to give in-person testimony virtually today. I know it's um, the end of the work day and also very busy and so much has been going on politically. So we do really appreciate you all for um, joining us. Um, I'm gonna take some time to read um, a few of the written testimonies that we have um, received. Um, and so I'm just gonna go through that. Um, the first written testimony is from Megan Chiampa, um, and their pronouns are they, them. This is from Megan. I would like to see less funding for BPD, Boston Public Police Department, and more funding into, fun and more into funding for mental health access and support. The mental health care system and is, at best, the bare minimum, which is pathetic for a state who boasts the world's greatest health care providers. I would like to see a more LGBTQ inclusion plan for mental health in Boston and Massachusetts, as we often need detailed care around our mental health needs. The system here is very take what you can get and discriminates against race, youth, financial situation, disability, and being uneducated. The system leaves members of the LGBTQ community and other marginalized communities grasping onto the bottom rung of the ladder. Our needs come last. And we often face discrimination. My request includes more funding for drug addiction and treatment, which also uh, proportionally affects the LGBTQ community. Ex expansions and more funding for programs like and are similar to Fenway Health. I would like to see more financial financial security provided by the city of art for arts spaces as the arts run parallel with the LGBTQ community. The amount of art spaces and venues closing is detrimental to the queer community as many of them serve as safe spaces. 
during the plague alone, we've lost Great Scott, which hosted DADT, A Queer Night, among many other shows, and The Milky Way and many other places. And this comes after years of merciless gentrification in neighborhoods known for their diversity and culture. I live in Alston, please stop the condos, please. I would like to see bare minimum, more funding for LGBTQ orgs to secure physical space for operation within the city lines. I would like to see ultimately funding and support for local LGBTQ orgs to become full or partial owners of property within city lines to secure permanent space. Art is crucial to mental health. I'm not even going to argue this. I know you know. Um, that was from Megan again. Um, and I'm going to continue on. Um, and I'm gonna read, this testimony is from Charlene Zhu. Um, being a first generation Chinese American, food is a vital way for me to stay connected to my ma and my cultures. Being a bilingual, non-binary person, I found art and growing food as a language barrier across many identities. I have found many farms and growing spaces are led and owned by cis white folk and often transphobic and intolerant of growth. As this nation continues to grow and celebrate more identities, there's also those who can't let go of the power and comfort they are given. This land needs to be re-honored by the indigenous folks whose ancestors nurtured before colonizers stole it, and to African-American families who grew this nation as we know it now. I feel that it is vital to stop white folk to continue to own land and for that land to be given to QT BIPOC stewards to achieve freedom, grow food, and nurture our future generations. Only then we, we begin to heal and deal with our diaspora white cis own land and leadership isn't even going to create a space where we can thrive. And again, that was from Charlene Zhu. And this last um, written testimony is from an anonymous person. I'm sharing testimony today to express my concern about discrimination on the basis of being transgender, happening in healthcare and human service settings in the greater Boston area. Last month, I was instructed by my medical providers to get a COVID test, to get COVID tested. I provided my name, date of birth, photo ID, confirmed the test tube labels, the same as all other patients, and yet was sexually harassed and harassed on the basis of gender identity. Being screamed at in front of all other patients by staff, they did not know, they did not have to regard me respectively as a transgender person or gender me correctly. Then, they then called the police stating I was slowing down the test center for asking politely to be gendered correctly. I did not get the COVID-19 test I needed and a month later still had not been able to obtain testing needed despite calls to my doctor's office, patient relations, the mayor's office, the Department of Public Health and 211. I was told the mayor's office, I was told a Massachusetts commission against discrimination investigation would take two years, far too long for COVID-19 testing access. Similar experience have, have been reported by numerous friends. 
I would ask, I would like to ask the mayor's office mandate non-discrimination training that includes training to respectfully interact with transgender patients and make reasonable accommodations on the basis of disability at all testing sites in the city of Boston and designate one or more individuals to serve the public as a rapid response to offer mediation discrimination incurred in COVID-19 testing or care. I am deeply concerned to have re recently been denied domestic violence services by the state hotline SafeLink by a hotline worker who was mocking me and insulting me for being transgender and denied me services. As far as I can tell, there is no pathway to report mistreatment by a domestic violence or rape crisis agency to the city or state. Please create a pathway to, to investigate these serious issues. The discrimination I experienced severely has impacted my mental health. We know from research that half of transgender individuals attempt suicide, meaning we may have more than 15,000 transgender suicide attempt survivors in Massachusetts with an estimated 0.5% of transgender adults. This summer, the CDC reported one in four 18 to 24 year olds also seriously considered ending their life in the past month, equivalent to 130,000 Massachusetts residents. Meanwhile, we have only 630 inpatient psychiatric beds and providers continue to call the police as a knee-jerk response to patients talking about suicide. These numbers do not add up. And we, must all, and we also know that transgender people report such as in surveys done by Trans Life, to be very unlikely to help, to seek help if there is a concern, if there is concern the police will be called or they will be coerced into care. Please allocate funding in the city of Boston for transgender peer specialists to be providing phone or virtual peer support to address these mental health risks at a community level with the services res residents will actually use at a time when many LGBTQ specific resources, including Trans Lifeline and local LGBT domestic violence resources have struggled to keep up with the calls during the pandemic with increased calls and the issues trying to access outpatient mental health care, especially when being discriminated against are severe. Having been denied psych psychiatry care by a major Boston hospital on the basis of being transgender and unable to access the care I needed despite 25 plus calls, I had a preventable suicide attempt last month. My life and the life of transgender people in the greater Boston area matters. Please consider mandating non-discrimination training that includes training to respectfully interact with transgender patients and make reasonable accommodations on the basis of disability at all testing sites in the city of Boston and designate one or more individuals to serve the public as a rapid response to offer mediation and discrimination incurred, incurred in COVID-19 testing or care. Create a pathway to investigate mistreatment or discrimination in domestic and sexual violence agencies allocate funding in the city of Boston for transgender peer specialists to be providing phone call or virtual peer support to address these mental health risks at a community level with services residents will actually use. Thank you.
Whew. That was so much. And thank you so much for that. I There's so many points that we can kind of tease out from all of those written testimonies that are important things to acknowledge. And I just want to thank um, the person who wrote that testimony, Charlene and Megan, for um, taking the time out to write that for us um, and for and to have that um, be on public record. Thank you so much. Um, I'd like to just give a signal to the tech host to see if we can do um, gallery view, because um, I'm going to invite Zenaida to give their testimony. Um, so just to um, iterate how this will work is Zenaida will give uh, their testimony and then I'll relinquish um, my time as host to Zenaida so they can listen to my testimony. Um, and then I will um, pretty much just close out the evening. Um, and thank you so much to everyone who's been a part of this. We understand that um, this is going to be an ongoing conversation and that just in, I mean, the six, the six to eight testimonies that we have um, processed today, um, I think that there's so much to, I guess, sit with, um, reflect on and kind of figure out what next steps are. So. Um, I'd love to invite Zenaida back to read their testimony. Thanks, Golden. Um, yeah, so powerful. And yeah, I want to thank all of all of the people that have submitted testimony. Again, really, really important. Um, I'm grateful that this space exists um, and that Golden invited me to be a part of it. I pray that the city is not just entertaining us by holding this space. I hope that folks walk away with an understanding that the wellness of this city is contingent on the wellness of its most marginalized people. If the city wanted to show that they cared about trans and non-binary people, they would house them. They would find ways to make sure that trans and non-binary people are given access to the same job opportunities and that managerial level staff across the city was giving training on how to work with trans people so the burden wasn't on us to advocate and defend ourselves. If the city wanted to show that they cared about trans and non-binary people, um, gender affirming clothing, hormones and surgeries would be subsidized. This is the tip of the iceberg and are things that queer people have had to do for ourselves for so long. Often trans and non-binary people receive much of their healthcare, housing security and emotional and mental support from each other and we are exhausted. The city can support trans and non-binary people by not only giving us platforms like this, which was created by a trans person who is not a city employee, but by listening and doing work around the claims people are making. Trans and non-binary people are inventors. We imagine ourselves and then we make it possible. I invite city governments who are servants of the people to indulge in the impossible. To be true allies to trans and non-binary people, the city would have to let go of the structures and frameworks that have always left us out, that allow us to be murdered by the systems that keep white cis people in false senses of security. Liberation is abundant and vast and it has to be a creative project that happens with trans and non-binary people with BIPOC trans women at the center. The city will have to let go of its obsession with bureaucracy, order and money if it wants to truly care for all of us. To understand the level of liberation we could achieve, you have to dream. 
and you have to prioritize us. By doing that, you will also liberate yourselves from harmful structures that are being broken open right now. This is the reckoning and everything must be overturned. I hope that these testimonies become seeds that grow. I believe that they will with or without city government. And I'll pass it back over to you, Golden. Thank you so much. Thank you for that, Vinayana. I really appreciate that. Um, and I'll go ahead. I'm gonna actually drink some water real quick. Um, I just wanna say, first and foremost, thank you for everyone who's been watching on the live stream, everyone who's like shared and submitted and all the people who are um, going to watch afterwards the recording. Um, we, I thank you all so much. I couldn't do this without you. And um, I'm just really blessed that um, this could happen, so. I realized right as soon as it switched that I didn't drink water and I was like, it is important to drink water. <laughs> so hydration is key. Um, so um, I'm just gonna go ahead and read uh, what I wrote. So um, I first would like to thank everyone who has provided virtual testimony before me today the individuals who have written submitted who have submitted written testimony prior to today's town hall and those who are planning to engage in submitting testimony over the next few weeks i'd also like to acknowledge that we are in unprecedented times with an ever changing health and cultural pandemic an ever changing socioeconomic and political ecosystem which has caused individuals to be unsafe go unheard and further be unacknowledged. To the trans and non-binary individuals watching and witnessing, I understand that trust is difficult to give and hold right now. So I'm grateful for you trusting me and Zenaida to lead this space. Though this town hall is aimed to be a safer space, I know any conversation involving those who are being marginalized and are often facing discrimination with any, within any municipality can be viewed as an unsafe space. So thank you to all the people who are watching with hope, who have been watching, who have, had, who have been having these conversations at their own dinner tables, at community events, at protests, marches, and vigils, in courtrooms and in classrooms, with children, family, and with blood relatives, and even with themselves. I think it's important for me to name that this trans and non-binary town hall was not something that I intended to do when I first applied to be a city of Boston artist in residence. My application was to complete a photo documentary project to represent, reflect, and showcase the many trans and non-binary workers and entrepreneurs across the city of Boston in partnership with the Mayor's Office for Women's Advancement. Many of these individuals that I had placed on my list to be included in this project prior to my residency were folks who shared community with me, colleagues or individuals who I looked up to and respected. This project was important to me because every job or space that I had that did not have other trans and non-binary folks can no longer say, well, you're the first person, you're the first trans person I met or you're the first trans employee we've had, so I didn't know, insert conversation about bathrooms or insert conversations about pronouns or DEI was important. I wanted to create a tool for Bostonians to develop deeper relationships with their fellow city members and create a creative shield 
for Bostonians to use against the transphobia that I had known very well. When I applied to be a Boston artist in residence, I was leaving a job in Cambridge in which I was the only trans woman employee and one of a handful of black people who worked for this international company. A job that did not ask people's pronouns and misgendered prospective candidates on visit days prior to my suggestion after being hired to have pronouns and chosen names included as an optional field on the company's job applications. When I began to do work this summer around the 2020 census and working closely with the Office for Women's Advancement, I must be candid with you and state that I did not realize how much of these same barriers, these same systems of lacking trans and non-binary leadership, voices and attention would carry over to this current position. In my 2020 census research, I began asking questions like, why are there not more options for sex under the sixth question on the 2020 census? Or if the state uses these metrics to determine funding, how are they including trans and non-binary people's needs in these metrics? No one had answers. I honestly don't think many people ever stopped to question the discrimination that was taking place in such an important process that provides aid across the nation. For those who do not know, the census decides how $675 billion in federal funding is dispersed across states and furthermore cities for schools, housing, hospitals, roads, and other programs. City workers and officials have told me, well, the city needs the money, so it's important we organize and you fill out the form regardless, or just skip the question, though the government will follow up with more questions afterwards. In my interactions with the city offices, it's been disheartening to hear the answers stop when they are not urgent for the individual. These conversations and suggestions made me think about all the meetings I have been sitting in to plan events and content around the centennial for the 19th amendment. I thought of the many non-white women who did not get the right to vote, though we still celebrate. I thought of the many non-white women who never had the, the option to perform as cis white men to stand in polls and protest the discrimination they faced. I thought of the black women like Sojourner Truth, who is known for giving the Ain't I a Woman speech, or Carrie Barnes Ross, who was the first president of the Indiana Equal Suffrage Association, Association branch number seven, an all black chapter and wondered if either woman had the option to check a racial box as white for their vote to be counted, would they do it? In the 2020 Netflix documentary, Disclosure, which takes a deep dive into the ways in which Hollywood has depicted transgender individuals in film, there is a statistic cited from a GLAD study stating that 80% of Americans do not know a transgender person. I want to take this time today to debunk this myth for the city of Boston and for those watching. You met a trans person this morning while ordering your morning breakfast sandwich and coffee at Dunkin' or know a trans person working at your local bakery, coffee shop, or diner. You met a trans person while pumping your gas on your way to work today 
and you met a trans person on the MBTA on your way back home. You know a trans person who works in your office, your school, your national government. If it is not understood, I feel like it is important to state that the city government is made up of people who make up a system that affects city of Boston's culture and budgets, budgets involving women's rights, immigrant rights, Boston public schools, housing, transportation, and neighborhood development to say a few. Some of these people will hear me say this and not think that these are trans issues. This city government made up of people who have power that make up a system that determines if trans people are treated equally as cisgender people across city systems and local businesses. If monuments on stolen land are kept up or taken down. If sex workers are included in conversations of sex buying and the prevention of sex trafficking. If murals in Roxbury or Dorchester are funded or torn down without community conversation overnight if police departments are giving numerous times more funding than cultural departments, if trans women are allowed the same advancements as cis women, and or if their voices are to be included in city policies. Being transgender is not a club. It's not an organization. It's not a government or a cult. Trans people are human beings, people who have families just like you. People who, have, people who have children facing school under a global, global pandemic like you, people who have mothers and siblings and cousins who pay rent and, reply, and rely on SNAP benefits like you, people who have fathers and grandchildren and uncles who speak Spanish at the local grocery store, who send money back to family in other countries after paying the electricity bill, who are Muslim, and first-generation American like you, people who are human beings like you. This discussion today is not just about trans and non-binary people in the city of Boston. It's about how to make sure everyone right, everyone's right to live supported and uplifted is the same. This is urgent for me as a Boston artist in residence, as a person who lives in Roslindale, as an organizer who works in Roxbury and Jamaica Plain, as a human being. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to close us out. Um, thank you to who all is watching and who is viewing this. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna break off script real quick and say like just how much I've been this project was really um, started back in July and it kind of started after me just making a Twitter and Instagram post being like, is this something that people would be interested in doing? Um, and I think it came out of a reality that there were not many um, stories, representations and um, knowledge of what was going on in my community, a community I know very well that is supported in the arts um, here in Boston. Um, and I think this was just like something kind of like spitballing to, I guess, kind of the sky and it, it, this, it manifested in this way. Um, and 
I knew that regardless if it touched one person, um, that this work was important because um, I think that that is what really, what it means to serve and what it means to um, lend power to people and to make sure that even if it's 10 people, even if it's 50, 100, thousands, um, we know that this, this town hall served a purpose for at least one person and that is important. So um, I just wanna say, um, just one second. Um, oh, thank you so much. Um, I just got a little message. I stopped a little bit because I got a ton of hearts on um, Facebook and Sharon was letting me know. But um, this really was kind of like a shot in the dark and um, I'll probably spend tomorrow off like reminis like just like um, meditating on how much this was, but this wasn't easy. Um, it took a lot of meetings, a lot of time, a lot of people. I wanna thank, um, I just have to say again, I wanna thank Sharon Amaguni, uh, Karen Goodfellow, Christina Carroll. Um, they have been on my organizing, co-organizing team since July, um, since the beginning of my residency. And they've been providing me a lot of support um, to do events like this, to be able to, um, uplift narratives like this. Um, shout out again to the people who made time today to um, come out and speak. I don't know, I feel like I just have like so many thank yous and so much gratitude um, for this space. Um, and I think we're gonna close at five. So I don't know if anyone, Zanina, do you have anything for the folks watching on the live, for the people in the chat? I'm just so energized. <laughs> I'm just so energized by this and um, I'm just so, so grateful to you, Golden, for for creating this space and for being a pioneer and for every day uh, doing your work at this, at this, in the city with um, your people in mind, um, like what you're saying about what it means to like, you know, serve the community is like, it's like so important and yeah, I'm just, I'm so, so grateful. And um, to have this space where our voices are, are being heard and recorded um, is just like, it's different. <laughs> it's different. Um, it's not the same as, um, you know, telling our stories at vigils or at TDOR, uh, Transgender Day of Awareness or of Remembrance. And um, yeah, I, I'm grateful for this. And I just love trans and non-binary people so much. And so I'm just like, yeah, gushing and um, hoping for change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, um, Of course. Um... I just want to double check with the chat. Are we bringing, um, let me see. I'm trying to confirm with everyone that we got everything. Everything is, I think, I think we're going to close now. I think that we, unless uh, anyone has anything to add. Thank you so much, Ricky. Thank you so much, Matisse. Thank you so much, Quan Ping. Let me see if it's like Guangping, Ricky, Matisse, everyone who showed up. I can't thank you enough. Um, and yeah, I think we can go off live.
For more information about the Boston Artist-in-Residence program, please visit www.boston.gov.